Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Jersey Shore, an interview with Maria Mooney. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Zabatello. Today's podcast guest is Maria Mooney. Maria Mooney is a dynamic 34-year-old marketing director from Cleveland, Ohio, by way of the Jersey Shore. Maria Mooney grew up in a traditional Italian-American household in Middletown, New Jersey. She was a gifted high school and college athlete, running cross-country for the Hurricanes at the University of Miami. Ms. Mooney's athletic career came to a sudden stop with the regression of a tick disease symptoms. Eventually, her symptoms became so debilitating that the former Division I athlete from the U lost the ability to leave her home and then her bed. Despite the presentation of classic tick disease symptoms, Ms. Mooney was failed by over 15 medical doctors. The pain caused by her tick diseases, combined with the failures of the medical community, caused Maria Mooney to advise her parents that she had decided to end her life. Maria Mooney's break came when she located a Florida-based Lyme literate doctor. The Lyme literate doctor diagnosed her with various tick diseases and offered her a successful treatment regimen that included the use of long-term antibiotics and herbs. Since treating with her Lyme literate doctor, Maria Mooney has made steady progress in regaining her health. Today, she is employed and she can leave her home for short trips. Hey, Maria Mooney, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to come on. So we're blessed to have you. You were one of the earlier guests that we had invited, and for various reasons, we couldn't get together. So we're really excited to finally have you on the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like before you began to show symptoms of a tick disease? Yes. So I grew up on the Jersey Shore. If anybody watches MTV, it's a different part of the Jersey Shore. So I grew up in in an area called Monmouth County, a little bit more affluent, about 40 minutes outside of Manhattan. Beautiful childhood, 20 minutes from the beach. I lived at the beach, beach baby, two parents, one older brother, two years older than me. Fantastic marriage. Never once saw my mother and father fight or yell at one another. And when I tell people this, they think it's like really bizarre, but then they understand why I am how I am, you know, because I'm quite the same. So literally when I say, and when I went to therapy for reasons, you know, being sick and such, that I had the perfect childhood I that I think, could think of. Of course, you know, you could say, oh, I wish I had a jet and this and that. No, I had the perfect childhood. I had two parents who loved me. I lived at the Jersey Shore. We went on vacations to the Jersey Shore, you know, down further every summer with my grandparents, my big Italian family. It was just a beautiful experience as I got older. You know, my father became more successful. We moved into a larger home. Then I went to college at a private institution, University of Miami. They paid for it. So I really was just well supported, well raised by just two incredible people who are um, non-judgmental, who taught me to be kind to people, to stick up for people. I couldn't ask for a, a better childhood, truly. A brother who protected me, who was also a pain in my ass sometimes, <laughs> and I love him dearly. When I say perfect, I really do mean that. I really had the perfect childhood. It was beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit about your athletic endeavors when you were in high school? Sure. So when I was in high school, I sort of dabbled. Well, I, I played basketball, and that was sort of my love. I started basketball and track slash long distance running or cross country running 
all of that when I was in grade school and then carried through to high school and did AAU basketball. Um, That was sort of my love at the time, but my true love was running. And I would jump on and off the track team, but I kept it more to myself um, in high school. I really, I ran with my father. That was what we did together. He was a marathon runner. He ran 28 marathons. I was very athletic and I did it in many ways. I played on teams, I traveled, I did it alone with my father as a way to bond with him because we loved it together. Very, very, very healthy, very athletic. And did you pursue your athletic events in college? I did. In fact, um, I decided I wasn't going to because I had some, they would call it, quote, overuse injuries, which, um, you know, going back now, we know was probably early Lyme. But when I got to college, I was running around the campus and eventually I was asked, you know, would you join the team? We see you running all the time. You look like you're somebody who could, you know, run on a team like this in that type of shape. Would you consider trying out for the team? I I did that and I, I walked onto that team and I decided that, okay, maybe running, maybe I'll take running further, you know, maybe this could be something that is, you know, Olympic dreams or whatever when you first start out, you know. So Maria, when you went to college, what were your goals? What were you planning to do professionally? So my goal was I went in with the criminology and um, religious studies minor and wound up, you know, going to psychology route instead, but having credits for both minors. And my, my long-term goal was to get a doctorate. I wanted to do research and teach at a research-based university like the University of Miami, and of course, high dreams to, you know, go away and get my doctorate somewhere else and then come back and teach at U Miami. And when did your tick symptoms begin to interfere with your capacity to pursue your goals? So while I was in college, is um, around 19 years old was when my symptoms started, but it, they would relapse and remit. And I would say that was when it started to um, make it difficult for me to pursue my goals. I had to quit running. So that was the first thing. And then after that, I had to switch gears and say, okay, well, I seem to be having something wrong with me. I'm not well, I'm not completely disabled, but I'm not well, but I'm an academic and this is what I need to do. I need to go further in my education. So I switched gears and I went to social work because that was a master's. That was a two-year program. I knew I could get through it. And then it was still very much related to um, social work, a clinical program like mine is a combination of sociology and psychology. I just figured, well, I'll get better eventually. And then, you know, I can splinter off and go back into sociology or go into social work with a PhD or go into psychology or whatever. That was always kind of the goal, but unfortunately it didn't happen. Maria, can you describe your symptoms? When I was about 19 years old, turning 20, and I was running at this time, that's when my symptoms started to affect my life. So, of course, like in mental health, you always say, like, when something starts to affect your life is when it becomes a problem. So um, I was injured running, not being able to run. And the first symptoms that really appeared were insomnia, very bad insomnia, anxiety, starting to have social anxiety, especially when speaking in front of my classes and began to develop an eating disorder. Maria, did you have social anxiety before you started to be symptomatic? Never, never. When I was in my Lyme literate medical doctor's office, my parents, both parents were with me, as I said, wonderful childhood, really want to reiterate that picture. My doctor turned and asked, was she anxious as a child? And they said, absolutely not. My father just referred to me my whole life as a quote, free spirit. 
And were you exhibiting any insomnia prior to being symptomatic? No. No, that began in college. And as a result of these injuries you were having, you started to exhibit some pain as well, right? Yes. So I was having these, what they typically call overuse injuries when you're a runner, because running um, is one of the harder sports on the body. And this is per the, you know, the physical therapist that worked with me at the University of Miami. So I sort of have pain in my feet, particularly in the ankle, shin, heel, toe areas. And it was always just brushed off as either, you know, very bad shin splints. Okay, well, it's not that. By the way, you're describing your pain. You must have several stress fractures, you know, MRIs, but not that. You know, it must be compartment syndrome. Had testing done for that. It's not that. It must be plantar fasciitis. Had treatment for that. So it must be patellar tendonitis. Had treatment for that. So that's when I began to, when I was with my Lyme literature doctor, began to be able to connect the symptoms that I was having when I first started to get sick, back to, well, I was having them when I was 15 and beyond. And this was always an issue for me. And I always had to put ice bags on my shins because they burned, not hurt, but burned. Maria, can you walk us through the time from when you were 20, when you first started to get really sick up until the time you were about 31, when you got diagnosed and what it was like seeing doctors over that 11 year period? Yeah. So when I was 19, going on 20, we thought it was just overuse injuries. You know, I saw many doctors, uh, many orthopedic doctors, many sports specialists. I saw the Miami Dolphins doctor um, and everything was diagnosed as an overuse injury. No one listened to me, but they did always tell me that I knew my body. They were always like, oh, you know your body so well, but yet not really do anything because I would explain my symptoms so well. I would use metaphors. You know, I would say it feels like somebody put gasoline into my veins or they're on fire or it feels like when the TV goes out and it's fuzzy, it feels like that's happening inside my feet, but nothing was done. So then after I graduate and things are getting worse and I'm about to start my master's program, I see another doctor. What happened was a nurse who happened to work in the office's daughter also had an RSD diagnosis. So when I went to go see this particular rheumatologist, that is when I got the, okay, you might have something called RSD. And the rheumatologist particularly brought the nurse in to look at me because he thought that I was starting to present physically in my legs with the presentation of RSD, which is some color changes in the feed. They turn blue, they turn red. You can see it when it gets to a certain stage. At that point, then I'm sent to um, New York City to see another specialist who this woman's daughter sees. And there I find out that I do have this progressive neurological disease. I ask, will I get worse? I am told it's progressive. Yes. I begin to cry. The man leaves the room and doesn't console me whatsoever. I asked one of my orthopedic specialists at 23 years old, would you mind testing me for Lyme disease? And I actually wound up calling him Dr. McDreamy because I had such a crush on him because he actually listened to me for the first time in years and tested me for Lyme disease. Unfortunately, when the test came back, as you know, they are not at all sensitive enough or accurate. And I had one positive band and that was it. And that wasn't enough for anybody to look at and question. And at my age, it wasn't enough for me to look at and question either because I took what the doctors and the white coats who went through all the schooling, I took what they told me as truth that my test was negative. As I'm going through the process of having RSD and being put on IV ketamine infusions, 
um, a lot of opiates, including fentanyl patches. Um, this all prescribed to me about 10 Vicodin a day. Um, I'm still being asked to be tested for Lyme disease throughout this. Eventually, I realized that no nothing is working that these traditional doctors are doing for me. So I cut off traditional doctors altogether um, at that point, which of course I've let them re-enter my life and went more holistic, but I still stuck with an, an MD, asked her to also test me for Lyme. And I can't fault this woman because she helped me more than anybody underneath my Lyme doctor, you know, who's really the hero here. But she was a family doctor, you know, and I went to her with just help me with my energy and things like that. She tested me for Lyme. She said, well, what this means here is that your immune system was exposed to the bacteria at some point and you created an antibody. That's what she said to me. So that made me think, okay, well, that makes sense. I live in New Jersey. I was a cross country runner. I played in the woods my whole life. I lived across from a state park. So yeah, okay. I could have been exposed to it. Uh, your immune system can handle that, right? You know, so nobody, nobody ever gave me cause to worry. Maria, I'd like to just jump back real quick. So as a result of your progressive neurological disease, they gave you treatments like IV ketamine, fentanyl, and Vicodin, really strong medications. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, ketamine is used as an anesthetic. So can you describe what that was yeah. like getting the treatment? And did it help you at all? Horrific. So I want to be completely transparent when I say this. And of course, everyone gets to make their own medical decisions, but I would advise Unless ketamine is the absolute wonder drug for you, do not go near that. It was absolutely horrifying. It was truly nothing but poison. What I had to do was undo the damage that was done to me before I could even like start to be treated for Lyme. They would put me in the hospital for 10 days at a time. This was an experimental treatment at the time. I'm not sure if it still is because I just put RSD way behind me because it just doesn't exist in my world anymore. But they would put me in the hospital for about 10 days. The first time I went, I couldn't finish the treatment because they decided not to tell me that the two people prior to me they had to stop the treatment early as well, and they didn't know why. My kidneys almost shut down. I almost literally die in this ICU, and we find out that the batch of ketamine was most likely contaminated, and that the experiment was stopped for at least six months so they could investigate it. So then I had to go and do it again because that didn't work, and I had to go somewhere else to do it. I went down to Philadelphia to Drexel University with a much better doctor, someone who was very compassionate at least, and did the full 10-day stay there. And then in the middle, I would do boosters. So I would go get ketamine every probably six weeks. I would go back to Philadelphia to get ketamine for four days. And on those four days, I would get it for four hours at a clip. And it was hallucinogenic. It was frightening, to say the least, to a young girl. You know, I'm 23 at this time because we jumped right into treatment when I got my diagnosis, you know, to try to stop the pain because I was going in a master's program. So at that point, then I'm put, also put on all of these opioids. I had gotten up to about 10 Vicodin a day and that wasn't working. So then I'm put on anti-seizure medications and then I'm put on fentanyl patches once I've gotten my tolerance up high enough. And then the patches aren't working for the three days that they're supposed to be on you. So then I have to switch them every two days and then I have to up the dose and then I have to put on multiple patches. And then I had to ask about the next step, which was methadone. 
methadone was the next medication to go on. And at that point was when I began to look more into holistic health because they told me that at my size, it would be really difficult to find a doctor to give me methadone. You know, I was small. Maria, after all of this unnecessary pain and treatment, you finally find a Lyme litter doctor down in Florida based on your own research and basically self-diagnosis. Can you walk yeah. us through the journey of when you finally realized I have Lyme disease and what that was like? Yes. So, you know, the universe was, I'm a new sort of new age, spiritual, uh, recovering um, Italian Catholic, but <laughs> the universe was putting it in front of my face constantly and clearly giving me some insight into what was wrong with me. I had the epiphany when, I hate to admit this, but I'm going to go ahead and spill my guess. I love watching the Housewives franchise and Yolanda Foster had Lyme disease. So as I never miss a Housewives episode, I was watching her story. And so that just kept being put in front of my face. And I thought to myself, okay, perhaps I should look into this a little bit more with now the research skills that I have as somebody with a master's degree. Then somebody that I knew while I was doing a holistic treatment who uh, happened to also be affiliated with the University of Miami, he proposed to me that I might have Lyme because he knew somebody with RSD-like symptoms who had Lyme. And that is really what was the aha for me. That was what made me say, okay, I trust this person. This is a good man. Like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my research and I'm going to try to figure out if I have Lyme. So that was the real aha for me. So Maria, did you know anything about ticks before you got sick? Oh, absolutely. Because I lived in New Jersey. So every moment of every day when you came inside, you were supposed to, you know, do a tick check. I remember walking somewhere, not even walking anywhere in the woods, but just like walking, you know, and then walking back to the car when I was little and having those little Italian white socks <laughs> that they put you in with those ruffles and they're being ticked all walking all over my socks as a small child. So it was just very common in New Jersey that, you know, ticks existed and you did your tick checks and sometimes you got Lyme disease and uh, supposedly it was treated, you know, easily and you got a bullseye rash and that was that. Did you find a tick that caused you to get sick? No, not at all. Not at all. And I have to admit, you know, as of course I got older, I didn't do my tick checks properly. You know what teenagers doing that? And I was running in the woods a lot, so it's possible that that's where I had contracted it. My doctor also thinks it's quite possible that I contracted it as a very young child. And my immune system was keeping it, you know, in check because as a young child, I was healthy and strong. Or if there's any chance that my, you know, my mother might have it, that there was any maternal fetal transmission because, you know, they lived in New Jersey their whole life, so... Maria, aside from your tick checks, did you take any other precautions to prevent ticks like some sort of insect repellents or natural repellents or anything like that? As a child, before I realized that I had Lyme disease, no. I don't remember that. I think probably my parents when I was younger, because my mom was on top of everything. And when I say that, who I mean it. Um, anyone Italian will understand that. She probably sprayed me up and down, back and forth <laughs> uh, 50 times. Yep. But when I got older, I didn't care <laughs> because I didn't think Lyme wasn't really you know that big of an issue so I didn't spray myself when I went running in the woods for hours you know two hours at a time sitting on logs looking at stuff loving being a runner in the woods you know where ticks could just be everywhere 
Marie, I'd like to focus on your diagnosis and your Lyme litter doctor. So once you realized you had Lyme and you had this Lyme litter doctor you found in Florida who really followed Dr. Horowitz's model from New York, what, Correct. what was your treatment plan? So my doctor is very wonderful. And anybody who's interested in um, who she is, I would be glad to tell them privately. I would like to protect her because she means so much to me, clearly, and to so many other people. But when I went to her, Lyme was so obvious that there was no question. I walked in with, she told me that if I had waited any longer, if I didn't do my holistic protocols prior to coming in, that there was a chance that I wouldn't be alive. So my treatment plan, once she saw, you know, you fill out a lot of paperwork prior to going to somebody like her. I mean, you're telling what you're eating, like literally every second of the day. So once she saw the protocol that I was on from Hippocrates protocols down in West Palm Beach, Florida, Holistic Health Center, Raw Vegan, Healing Centric, when she saw I was on that protocol, she assumed that I just wanted to go straight herbal. So obviously she's a medical doctor, but she does combinations of holistic therapies as well. And I said to her, listen, I'm so sick. I can't do anything anymore. I am afraid I'm going to die. What do you think I need to do? You know, I'm in so much pain. I'm on no pain medications. Nothing's helping me. You know, I can't run. I can't walk. Just what do I do? And she said, well, I would suggest in the combination. And so I looked at her and I said, whatever you say, I'm doing. Maria, can you talk more about the combination therapy, exactly what that is? Sure. So we began with cycling antibiotics, many different kinds of antibiotics, and cycling them very systematically. And the whole treatment is really very systematic. It's done like bit by bit, piece by piece, part, part by part. So I did antibiotics for about eight-ish months. And then she switched me to herbal, quote, medications, as we're not allowed to call them. But that is exactly what they are. So she switched me to basically the same type of protocol, being on several herbal medications and cycling those for um, many months. And then after that, realizing that I had some pretty bad Babesia, resistant Babesia happening, I went back to some pharmaceuticals. I went on Malarone for about eight or nine months while being on herbals. And once I stopped my herbal protocol is when we hit the mycobacterium protocol, which the dapsone combination therapy is part of. The first nine months of your antibiotic treatment, it wasn't just one antibiotic. You were on doxycycline, Bactrim, and the minocycline. So you were on the combination therapy at first of the three antibiotics, right? Oh gosh, more than that. Cipro was in there. Every three months or so, we would then switch to another couple antibiotics. So I was on so many antibiotics that I don't even remember all the names of them. So then you went on to the herbs after that, and then you went on the malarone, which is anti-malaria medication, I believe, right? Correct. So we realized that my abusia symptoms are pretty bad. I had a lot of trouble with air hunger, breathing. That's when we said, okay, you know, the herbs are doing a great job, but Babesia is very, very difficult to get rid of, very, very resistant to a lot of um, medications, even herbals. So, you know, I said, well, is there any medication I can go on? And we bet when we hit the malarone. Maria, after that, and I think you're still on this treatment, I believe, you went on the, the combination of drugs recommended by Dr. Horowitz from one of his studies, where it combines uh -huh. antibiotics and dapsone to mm -hmm. actually persist their bacteria left in your body. Can you talk what that's like? Absolutely. So that's, again, um, the mycobacterium protocol. So once I had the Babesia uh, under control, you know, taking the malarone, not sweating profusely, not having symptoms, so I'm taking the malarone, no die off and things like that. 
we began a mycobacterium protocol. Dapsone was not the first. You can sort of work up to Dapsone. So I was on things prior to that, like linazolid, that absolutely, when I say that this, this, is so, this part is so hard, this part is to me the part that is the most hopeful, but it is the most difficult because it works so well. So for me, it's been incredibly, incredibly difficult die-up wise because it hits so many pathogens at one time and opens them up to be then killed with some of the combination drugs that you add, but it's also incredibly effective. So it's this push and pull, especially when you're this far into treatment, where it's so difficult, you don't want to do it anymore, but you know that there's so much hope in this and you see it and you feel it. You know, when you're off your meds, you take a little break, you go, oh, I couldn't do this before, you know, before the lenazolid or before the Dapsone. So it's incredibly brutal, but it's incredibly effective. So Maria, would you say that you needed to do everything you did leading up to this combination therapy with the Dapsone, but that the Dapsone and other combination drugs is really your, your game changer, that this is really killing off the bacteria in the greatest quantity, mm-hmm. but it's also causing yeah. you to really herx the most and detox the most and really suffer the most? Yes. So I think that, you know, in, in the beginning, the point of the Dapsone, of course, is to get at the persisters, at the resistant bacteria, uh, the pathogens at the cyst forms, the forms that are in hiding, you know, as we all know, or maybe some people don't know that, you know, shaped as a corkscrew, you know, its main goal is to burrow into your soft tissue here. So it's not easy to get these guys out. So that's what Dapsone is actually doing. And I believe that is why it is the most difficult. It's getting at those last bits and pieces that if I stopped my treatment now, I could get sick again in a few years. Can you discuss what other things you did aside from antibiotics throughout your treatment protocol? Sure. So first I started with one of the most important things to me is diet. So changing your diet. So prior to my treatment protocol, I went to Hippocrates Health Institute for six weeks. I also did, I've done many, you know, obviously part of this is many modes of detox. You have to do this, you know, foot baths, infrared saunas. I take about 9,000 milligrams of glutathione at this point in my treatment. And of course, you can imagine the expense that comes with just that. I had a stem cell transplant about a year ago, which um, I do believe has helped me in a really interesting way because my thyroid began to heal all of a sudden (laughs) very quickly. I've had, you know, IV infusions of vitamins, of glutathione and saline, just systematic supplementation, high-dose vitamin D therapy, high-dose methyl B12 injections to try to heal the nerve. I tried low-dose naltrexone while I had RS. And, um, you know, on treatment as well. Now, I had tried acupuncture for a long time, massage, CBD, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say THC, (laughs) hyperbaric oxygen, not the deepest dives that you can get, you know, unfortunately, it was hard to, at that point, very expensive insurance wouldn't go near it. Yoga, Reiki, spiritual counseling, mental health counseling, physical therapy, So Maria, clearly once you had this epiphany that you had Lyme disease, it didn't go the way you thought it would, I'm sure, where it would be a quick recovery. You you ran into this conflict of this is a multi-tiered, multi-level approach to heal. Yeah, well, you know, if I have to be completely transparent, and I'm not ashamed to say this at all, I told my parents, and my parents are wonderful, and again, when I reiterate, when I said I really had the perfect childhood, imagine this, imagine I sat there and I told my parents that 
I'm not, I'm not impulsive. I'm mental health masters in mental health counseling. But I said to my parents, I said, I'm not impulsive, but if I have to live like this, I will, I will kill myself and I will let you know that I'm going to do it. And my parents literally had nothing, almost nothing to say. They looked at me. They were so sad. You know, the thought of it makes me sad. But they said, we understand, but please, you know, <clears throat> excuse me if I get emotional because my parents are one of the things that make me very emotional. They're wonderful. Um, but they said, please try everything first. And that's when they sent me to Hippocrates. So, so obviously this was not as easy as, as you thought it would be to heal from the line, but it seems no. like you've come a long way over the past three years since your diagnosis and treatment. So can you share yeah. about your accomplishments? I mean, you've come so far, it seems like. So we'd love to hear how you are today and how you've progressed. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. So from that time, <laughs> I have come so far. When I started Hippocrates, I was ready to, to end my life or to do this treatment. Where I started was completely housebound, bedbound. I called my parents my legs. That had to do everything for me. I could not food shop for myself. I could not pick up my own medications from the pharmacy because standing in line was impossible and I refused to get in a wheelchair because I thought if I got in a wheelchair then I would never get out. They did everything for me. So I really couldn't even do my activities of daily living. Showering was impossible. I stood up in the shower out of stubbornness when my mother bought me a seat so I could sit down in the shower. It was just horrifying to even take a shower. And now at this point, you know, I had so much brain fog then too. At this point, I am healed and healing in so many ways. I probably walked in with about 20 symptoms when we went through the checklist. And I would say at this point, I had about seven or six that are left. One of them, unfortunately, being some of the pain, which is why I want to get rid of this so badly. You know, my hope is always to run again. But when you consider how far I've come over three years with a list of 20 symptoms and having most of them be gone at this point. That's where I am now in my therapy is that I can do my own activities of daily living. I can go food shopping for myself. I can work from home. I can go kayaking because I can't go long distance running yet. Doesn't mean that I'm not healing to a point where I can do so much more than I've ever been able to do. I can go on trips. I couldn't travel. I went on an airplane for the first time in years recently to California, you know, not a short flight whatsoever. Maria, I think it's so important to put into perspective, as you just have, that you were bedbound, housebound, and here you are. We follow you on, on social media. You're out, you're kayaking, you're having fun on the beach, you're able to socialize again. You're, you're so successful in your digital marketing career that the first week we here at Tick Bootcamp really just started to do what we do, we found you because of your social media presence, and right away we're attracted to you. Oh, wow. I think it's just so, so great how far you've come, and it's such an inspirational story for all of us listening, including myself. So Maria, we thank you for sharing as much as you have. This interview has been unbelievably inspirational to us and we know it will be to our listeners. We have one more question for you. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you had a tick on your leg, what would you do? Oh, well, if I can't curse, I would say, oh, F. That would be my first response. I would remove it properly. I would really ask people to do their research on, you know, how to remove a tick properly. I would remove it properly. I would then keep it. I would probably store it in something like a mason jar or something like that. Head over to the doctor, immediately get on the typical, you know, treatment for Lyme when it's acute. 
immediately get on that, whether or not I had it or not, have the test done and then have the tick tested to see if the tick had any infections in it, Lyme and other, because there are some that are actually out there that are becoming so dangerous that they're putting people in comas the second they get bit. So that would definitely be my plan of attack. I tell everybody to do that because here all of a sudden, you know, now all of our friends are having ticks on them. Someone I know has been bit seven times already just while he's been working this summer. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with Maria Mooney. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Maria Mooney and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at happyhealing44. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by our past podcast guests. We urge you to visit the website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank our listeners for their past comments. We'd ask you to please make a comment to us on our current podcast. We really appreciate honest reviews on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of our reviews. Thank you for listening.